This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This bonus episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored by Draft. You love fantasy hockey. It's why you're listening to this podcast. And that means you will also love Draft. It's a simple daily fantasy hockey app that lets you do snake drafts anytime you want, all season long. They only take minutes to complete and you can play for free or play for money. If you think you already play in other daily games, how about this? Your chances of winning on draft are 200% higher than FanDuel or DraftKings. And your chances of beating me personally in a draft are infinitely higher because I don't even mess with those other guys. If I'm playing a daily fantasy game, I am playing draft. In fact, I'm about to draft a team right now against today's guest, Ian Fleming, who we're going to get to introducing very soon. But first, are you ready to do a draft? I am. All right, there are six games tonight. It's Friday, by the way, January 6th. We're each going to pick one goalie, one defenseman, three forwards, and their teams are going to go head-to-head against each other in tonight's games. Ian is on the clock making his first pick. Yeah, wow. All right, I'm going to start with uh, Artemi Panarin. Artemi Panarin, the newly extended... Artemi Panarin is off the board. Good call to take a forward first. I'm actually looking at forwards as well. And I am liking Calgary's chances against Vancouver tonight, even though they're on the road. So I'm going to take the newly maligned on Twitter, Johnny Hockey, as my first pick. I think he tweeted something in favor of America. I only read the reactions, to be honest. Johnny Gaudreau is on my team. Yeah, well, for talking about bad reactions to a tweet last night, poor Austin Matthews has been getting blown up by uh, some <laughs> Toronto fans since, since then. Man, people just can't handle it. They can't handle it. Okay, it's a snake draft. I have another pick, uh, and I'm going to, you know what, there aren't a lot of defensemen out there that I like, so I want to make sure I get one tonight. I'm, I'm going big on Calgary, and I'm going Dougie Hamilton. Mark Giordano has disappointed me enough in my fantasy pools this year. I'm switching horses. All right, your pick. Let's move over to Toronto versus New Jersey. And uh, I think I might actually go back to Austin Matthews here. And then, like I said, snake draft, another pick. I think I'll stay in that game and go with Jake Gardner. Okay, so defensemen are off the board. You know what? I'm going to use that Austin Matthews pick as a segue into what we're going to talk about soon. I want to know if you think he's going to score 100 goals on Corey Schneider. And if Corey Schneider is suddenly going to be good starting tonight. I know I'm not going to draft him right now. Instead, I'm actually going to try and hedge on your Panarin pick. And I'm taking Patrick Kane, hoping that if Panarin gets any points, Patrick Kane will cancel them out for me. That's fair. It's a fair selection. (laughs) You know what? I'm not seeing a ton of other forwards I want, so I'm going to move over to goaltending. I think John Gibson, I'm going to assume he gets the start tonight uh, against Arizona. So I'm going to take him. He's at home against Arizona and uh, the highest rated goalie on draft, the highest projected goalie, which we're also going to talk about later. So he is now my goaltender because I don't care about the rest of the forwards. I'll take any of them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to move to goaltender as well. And I'm going to go with Thomas Grice. 
against Colorado, I think it could be a good matchup for him. The league's newest number one goalie. Okay. And the final pick is one last forward for me. Let's go with the underrated, under-talked about Michael Backlund. Nice. Yeah, he's been on some hot runs lately, and I don't think a lot of people realize it. And if you look at his last few games in draft, like as his scoring, he's been a solid three plus point guy over his last few games, which is a big deal. Uh, And then to finish off, I am going to grab my last forward. And uh, it's not going to be Ryan Kessler, who's the highest remaining projected player. I'm going to go with Corey Perry, even though recently knocked. You know what? No. Recently knocked off the power play is a reason for me to not take him. I'm going Ricard Raquel. I'm going for a deep duck cut. All right, so we've picked our teams. They're going to go head-to-head tonight, and we will see who comes out victorious. I know if it's me, I will definitely brag on Twitter, so sorry in advance for that. Except, we'll see. I'm, I'm not always the greatest at these. If you want to draft too, all you need to do is download the draft app, enter the promo code CARLSON, and you're going to get a 100% deposit bonus if you choose to play for money. To get the app, you can get it on iOS, or if you're in Canada using Android, you can go to keepingcarlson.com slash draftandroidca, or you can also check out the website, playdraft.com. And yeah, I'm really excited to see who wins tonight. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another bonus episode of the show. I'm your host, Brian Com, and with me today to talk about goalies is goalie aficionado and also just a great all-around guy on hockey Twitter, posting charts, making charts and graphs, and we're going to get to those soon. Ian Fleming is with us today. Ian from Chicago, how's it going? Going well. It's going well. How are you? I'm dying to finally get started on getting some answers to all these questions I have about goalies. We're going to talk about goalies today, about assessing goalies. Uh, We're going to talk about some other goalie miscellany, like equipment changes and what that might mean. And also talk about some of the goalie performances from this year so far. The good, the bad, the ugly. Talking about tandems and how teams should divide their goalie situations going forward. We have a lot of questions, and Ian's going to help us get to the answers. Ian, first off, assessing goalies... We don't need to rehash it. It's so difficult to do. Why? What makes goalies so difficult to evaluate and project, even as we're getting tools to evaluate forwards better and defensemen better? Goalies are still seemingly left out in the cold. If I was going to use two words to try to explain why it's so difficult, it's going to be confounding variables. Uh, Reason being is that there's just so much out there uh, that's not captured in the play-by-play data uh, from the league. Uh, things that we can get from the play-by-play data that help with skaters, you know, shot attempts, you know, shifts, all, all these things that we're then able to take and, and sort of reorganize in ways that uh, can better evaluate skaters. We don't really have that for goaltenders. It's just where are the shots coming from uh, and what type of shot was it. So, you know, we have a lot of different uh, ways, a lot of different statistics of uh, to look at goaltenders. I mean... For time eternal, we've looked at all situations, save percentage. That's not so good because that's taking into account uh, special teams, and, and, and that's a, a, a mess all of its own. Um, if you want to then break it down to 5v5 save percentage, it's not exactly good because it doesn't, equal, uh, it doesn't account for you know, the quality of the chances that are being created. 
you know, if you break it down to a per 60 stat, sort of like adjusted goal save above average, then you're subject to workload and the quality of the shot as well, which can sort of skew things. And then even something like adjusted Fenwick save percentage is close, but you may not, you know, we don't exactly have the best grasp yet on the value of a missed shot versus a save. And if you're using Fenwick to do that based on, you know, expected goals, you're still a little bit off into the goalie's actual real influence there. So all these different things sort of lead to different conclusions. And that doesn't even begin to touch on basic eye test evaluation of goaltenders, which is still a very real and good way of looking at goaltenders as well. So it's just all over the map. It's hard to really pin down exactly what the best way of doing it is. And then that's a, a big reason why it's so hard to really evaluate. Okay, so what's your own personal process for evaluating goalies? Because we have all these tools at our disposal and you just ran through a bunch of them. But if you're looking at a goalie and trying to figure out if they're good, if they're bad, if they're on a hot streak, if something's sustainable, what do you look at? What numbers do you look at? What things do you watch for when you're watching them play in a game? My primary method is, is usually going to be through actual numbers rather than eye testing, although the eye testing still goes some distance towards understanding what's going on. For me, I don't like small sample sizes. I don't like the hot hand method of selecting a goaltender. I'm generally going to look at things from a, a broader perspective. Um, you know, we're only halfway into the season. Ten games in, people were freaking out about Freddie Anderson, right? But here we have a large sample of several years where we can see that he is a very good goaltender. It's very likely he's going to bounce back. And, and what happened? Well, he did. So my primary way of looking at it is to sort of take this sort of internal Bayesian view of things and having, you know, a prior performance and versus what's going on at the moment and sort of relying more on that historical performance rather than a five or 10 game sample of what's going on. If we know that, you know, over the last three years, a goaltender seen 4,000 shots, I'm not going to worry when he's only seen three or 400 shots. I'm going to expect that the true talent level is probably somewhere closer to the 4,000 shot sample rather than the smaller sample. Right. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So uh, when you do have a big enough sample, do you put a lot of faith in even strength save percentage? I mean, you just mentioned it doesn't account for shot sure. quality. Yeah. Uh, as far as, yeah, right. And, and actual what I'm looking at to, to make those determinations. Uh, I, again, I don't really like all situations save percentage. I'm going to look to 5v5 stuff um, no matter what the actual statistic is, I'm going to usually stick with 5v5. For the past while here, I've, I've relied really heavily on Nick Mercadante's adjusted goal save above average per 60, which is fantastic. But we do run into the issue now of War on Ice going dark, which was binning its data based on shot location. Adjusted goal saves above average works really well in that situation. Now we're looking to Emmanuel Perry's Corsica site, which is breaking down its danger zones by expected goals models. And when you do that, it's probably better not to bin quite that way. And we have this sort of existential problem with, with binning data. So I've gotten away a little bit from adjusting by danger zone that way and just looking at the expected goals uh, and, and how the goaltender is performing against the expected goals model. And so now I've been generally looking more towards what I've very simply called expected goals save above average per 60. Same general concept as adjusted goals save above average, just using XG instead of breaking it down by the danger zones. And is that available anywhere? Like I know on Corsica, you've got cumulative 
goal saved above average, which I've connected with expected goal saved above average. And you can tell me if I've got that wrong. If I just take that number and then work it out to be a per 60 number, would that be what I need? Not exactly. When you try to break it down into a league average rate that way, first of all, you have to look at (laughs) all the goaltenders what their expected goals against are, what their actual goals against are, then take it at a league-wide rate, find how many goals are being actually saved above or below expected goals because it's not exactly even this season or any season because uh, Manny took, uh, I think, a 10-year sample. So each season is not going to be exactly one-to-one ratio of expected goals against and goals against. So I think right now at this season where it's somewhere... The goals against is is something along the lines of uh, 0.16 goals against above expected goals against per 60 minutes. So it's close. It's very close, but it's not exactly the same. So we have to account for that small change uh, and then process each goaltender from there, uh, looking at goals against versus expected goals against, divide by time on ice, multiply by 60, then subtract the the league-wide difference to even it out to who's above and below league average this season. And and then we're able to to find it there. Okay, so if I'm terrible at math or just lazy, is there somewhere already where these numbers are publicly available or are we not there yet? No, no. (laughs) The math isn't too tough, but that's why I, I try to post those charts as, as often as possible to to show how things are going uh, with that statistic. But I don't know anywhere where you can just click and, and show it. Um, I try to update it once in a while on my own website, which is uh, dispellingvoodoo.com um, under the data tab. Uh, but I, I don't always update it you know, every day. It's, it's more like a, a weekly or a bi-weekly type of thing. Yeah, you've got a lot of great tools there, actually. So there's uh, you have adjusted goals saved above average per 60 in your, I'm looking at your save chart, really. That's like the, the quick hit when <laughs> yeah. I want to go find out what's up with a goalie or, or what I can expect from their abilities. And then you have adjusted save percentage on there and you have their high danger, medium danger and low danger save percentage, which are, I think for a lot of people, s- sort of the easiest thing to understand quickly. It, it is exactly what it says it is with high danger save percentage. So, Um, When I'm looking at those, I'm wondering which one of those is the most variable. Like if I'm looking at a goalie over the course of his career this year, all of a sudden one of those is off. Uh, Which one is the most likely to show variance? And also which one is the most reliable for indicating a strong or weak goalie? That's a good and, and tough question. The thing about that is, is that with goaltenders and the shots coming in and the quantity and volume, you know, that, that they're coming in, they swing. They swing from game to game. You know, when you look over a set of years, there's enough shots that, that those huge swings aren't going to happen in each one of those zones or danger zones or danger tiers, however you, however you want to put it. The greatest number of shots is, is going to come from, from low danger areas. So as the shot numbers build, the less you're going to see those wild swings that you may get. So high danger save percentage does tend to swing a little bit more that way, but it's also one of the best ways of figuring out the the quality of a goalie. Not necessarily because it's the only thing that matters, uh, athleticism and and making that kind of high danger save, but because it's one of the best predictable stats that we have in in terms of actual uh, analysis. 
the swings that we get in low and medium danger are too sort of wild uh, and, and don't provide enough of a, a basis for trying to predict what a goalie is going to do year over year. Um, high danger is a little bit better, but not particularly great either. So it's really tough to look at any of them and say, okay, this guy did well in high danger, not so well in medium danger and well in low danger, and then say, this is exactly what he's going to do next year. Because there's just, like I said earlier, too many variables that go into it um, outside of just where the shot's coming from and what type of shot it is. You know, where there's still so many things we don't capture, like is the goaltender screen. I mean, if the goal goes in and the goaltender never sees it, it's very difficult to try to pin the blame on a goaltender for that. But it shows up just the same as a, a, a swing and a miss, you know. So it's tough to, to look to any one of those and really pin it down as being the best way of looking at a goaltender. It's best to try to take everything in as a whole and move from there. Fair enough. But even so, I'm still going to try and throw it back at you one more time. We have Ben Bishop, <laughs> whose high danger save percentage is lower this year than it's been in the past. And then you've got Corey Schneider, whose medium danger save percentage is lower than it has been in the past, but everything else looks about the same. Then you have Jake Allen, whose low danger save percentage is lower than it's been in the past, but everything else looks about the same. So I have these three goalies who are each struggling this year, and the struggle seems to be mostly coming from a different type of danger save percentage. Can I count on one to be more likely to bounce back than the others or to be a better goalie than the others? Or is it really just a watch? Like, I know you just finished telling me <laughs> that it's really hard to understand, but I want to really get a sense, like, is there one that I should worry more or less about if it dips? I would worry most about a goaltender not having a high danger save percentage, but then I would also expect it to be able to level out more uh, if he's been historically very good in that area. Um, I don't expect a goaltender just to become very bad at one part of his game that's been very good over a, a large sample size. So if we're looking at a guy like Ben Bishop, who has traditionally been uh, a little bit above average in high danger save percentage and is this year below, um, you think that ideally he's probably going to pop back up. Then again, he's now... Uh, pushing 30 years old and maybe his size and his athleticism is giving way a little bit at that age so it's going to be specific to each goaltender i hate to give you a sort of uh, washed out answer here but again it's very very difficult just to look at any one of these and, and try to really pin it down and, and say that's the one we need to look at and expect a bounce back i would look at it as a whole look at adjusted goal save above average looked at expected goal save above average and and hope that it stabilizes towards the way that it has been for the past several seasons right okay yeah that's totally fair you know i was under the impression that a low danger save percentage is really something that you can count on especially like in the first 10 15 games if a goalie is just fine in high danger and medium danger i sort of just ignore but low danger are the shots that are coming from the least dangerous point on the ice and you know 10 or 15 games into the season uh, if someone like jake allen he has had a low one all season long even though he's holding up just fine in other places and i guess maybe that indicates that the team in front of him isn't helping him see those shots or they're somehow being deflected in a funny way on their way to the net. That's a number that I'd expect to even out, but it hasn't yet after you know almost 30 games from him. Which is true. And I'm not so sure. I, I haven't watched a ton of St. Louis Blues games, to be completely honest. But if a goaltender's low danger save percentage is, is hanging particularly below average, and I'm looking at the volume of shots he's getting from those zones as well right now. And it's it's nothing crazy. He's actually getting a, a bit lower than average from, from low danger areas. So 
if it's particularly low, you have to wonder one of two things, really. And is it on him and he's not tracking the puck well? Or is it on the team and they're not uh, they're not making it easy for him to stop low danger saves? So it's either going to be, uh, I mean, and it can be a blend of both, of course. But is, is the goaltender not tracking or is the team not doing a good job of clearing lanes so that he can track it? Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. Let's say... And again, this is something where I, I think you've given me your answer already, but I need I need it in reference to this specific question. Let's say goalies on a hot streak, like Chad Johnson earlier this year, or Cam Ward, even Pekka Rene was playing incredibly earlier in the season. Sergei Bobrovsky still is. Is there a way, like for skaters, if a skater is playing out of their mind, we can check out their even strength shooting percentage or their on-ice shooting percentage at even strength to figure out if their hot streak is sustainable. Is there a similar way to check for goalies or is there really no way to know if a goalie has actually improved their game or if they are just on a hot run or, you know, vice versa, if they're on a cold streak or if they've actually declined in their game, if we're seeing a sudden change in their numbers from their career history. We don't have anything specifically like that. I'm working on something in a, in a new save chart for this year that's going to sort of more visually approximate hot and cold streaks. At the bottom of the new save chart, I'm going to have a goal saved above expected by game. And when you look at that, you're going to be able to see each individual data point, each game, how well that goaltender performed. So you're actually going to be able to see if this goalie has just been, you know, if, if, if his statistics are good because he's just played, you know, a string of games that are a little bit above average. Is he having wild swings up and down? To be able to predict, though, whether or not the performance is sustainable is, is, is really tough. I wouldn't expect, for instance, one of the biggest hottest streaks of 5v5 is, is, is Corey Crawford earlier this year. Corey Crawford's a very good goaltender. You can see it. I mean, if you look at the, the three-year numbers, very, very strong goaltender. But do I expect his high danger save percentage to continue at 88% when league average is 81 or medium danger to stay at 95 when league average is 92? No, I expect it to regress a bit. And and when you look to the game-by-game um, performance, he's had these really, really high, high swings and not really low swings game by game. We're normally going to stick closer to average than have those really big swings. Some goaltenders are more prone to big swings. A guy like Yaroslav Halak kind of plays that way. Um, but I don't expect those big swings just to happen one direction. Um, you know, Henrik Lundqvist has made a career on being one of the a generational goaltender. He's not really a big high swing guy. He's a very solid game kind of guy for long periods of time. When you look at a stat like adjusted goal save above average or expected goal save above average, and you look and Corey Crawford's sporting a point, well, after the last couple games, he's now a point six eight. No one posts a point six eight after a full season. It, it just it doesn't happen. So that should continue to slide a bit. The hot streaks are, we don't have a really good way of looking at like, shooting percentage uh, and expecting it to regress regress the way we do with shooters. But we don't expect it to stay this hot either, even if we don't have a tried and true method of being able to to prove that. Especially with all this data that seems to surround us and like these little 
clues and breadcrumbs that we can pick up for skaters. We can look at ice time and deployment and shooting percentages. It's such a huge temptation to want to find meaning in some of the goalie numbers to find the same sort of thing, except it seems to not completely be there yet, aside from, well, this is way higher or way lower than any numbers we've seen before. So it's probably going to go back somewhere towards the, the mean. Yeah, nothing quite like with skaters, but we, we know what the ranges typically fall in. And if it's far exceeding that range, then there's not a lot of reason to expect it to stay there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what teams can do to help their goaltenders be better. Uh, we had a question from one of our patrons, actually. They wanted to know which NHL teams have the better reputations around the league. Essentially, I'm asking which team or which goalie coach is it good to know that a goalie is working with? Developing goaltenders, developing players, right? Uh, it's it's not a long-term process, say, like with soccer, where you may have an academy and you bring these kids up from the age of 12 and they come through your team and it's your set of coaching that brings them in, in, into the professional ranks. You know, kids go through different levels of juniors, maybe go to college. Uh, some may hop directly to the pros. Some may not make it until their early 20s. It's that way for skaters. It's that way for goalies as well. And so it's tough to, I think, say that one particular team is, is good at developing goaltenders when there are a variety of methods in which they get there, all of which don't exactly um, take in the team's ability to teach a goaltender to do well. I think a really funny stat or fact in general is that of the top 30 goaltenders in time on ice right now, if you look at the teams that drafted them, the highest number of, of draft picks that any one team has is two out of the top 30. And actually, the highest number of any particular type of draft state is undrafted with three. Three of the top four goaltenders in time and ice right now in the league are undrafted. So wow. it's, it's tough to say that a team, any one team is particularly good when they're going to go through several states of development that aren't related to the team that they were drafted or by. As far as goaltender coaches... I'm a little bit biased here, but Benoit Allaire does uh, an absolutely spectacular job for the New York Rangers, I think which is evidenced not just by how good Henrik Lundqvist has been for the last 11 years, but how good all of his backups tend to be when they come in. Guys that may be unheralded, a guy like Cam Talbot who was undrafted, a guy like Antti Ranta who really didn't look that great for Chicago while he was there. Even when a guy gets two games a couple years ago, like uh, Mackenzie Scapsy comes in and shuts out Buffalo in this in, in second game of his career. Um, so I think Alaire does have his hands uh, in a lot of what the Rangers do and does a very good job developing the younger goaltenders there. And Chad Johnson also got some of his earlier reps yep. in with the Rangers. And Steve Valiquette, who's also providing some valuable goalie analysis, also a backup in New York. You know, I never really thought about the long term. Like, I know about Talbot for sure. And Ranta this year has been fantastic as well in a backup role. Uh, but you can really look back and see a lot of interesting names and good numbers uh, with the Rangers. What's your bias? Is it just as a fan? Yep. Yeah, it's a fan bias. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I can sort of trust you on that answer, but everything else does check out. Okay. So you're saying that uh, goalie goes through so many different stages of development without their NHL team that you can't really look at one team as better than another as developing goalies. And, you know, a lot of these teams have undrafted goalies who end up being big time minute getters for them. So it's still a very inexact science. Yeah, it's a crapshoot as it stands. Yeah. yeah. Would you say that there is no, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, 
are there no NHL teams that are really great at developing goalies? Is there no team that we can hope for a goalie prospect to go to and then be like, yeah, they're going to make good work out of that guy? <laughs> uh, well, like I said, I have a lot of faith in Benoit Allaire. Um, but across the league, having a good goaltender fall into your lap tends to trump developing goaltenders. <sighs> Let's take a guy like Corey Schneider, which I'm, I, I know we're going to hit on, or we have hit on already in terms of not doing so well for New Jersey this year, but it looked for a while there like Vancouver was doing very well with producing goalies between Luongo and, and Eddie Lack and Corey Schneider, and they sort of had a stable of goaltenders they were moving through, and now it's a little bit different. <laughs> so it's tough to say whether or not it's just a momentary thing where you just kind of had some good goaltenders develop and, and sort of fall into your lap. And maybe you have a wealth of, of riches that you don't know what to do with, like Vancouver, not knowing exactly how to handle a situation of having a 1A and 1B and, and trading uh, oftentimes the younger of the goaltenders away. It's, it's tough to know whether it's going to be a momentary thing or whether you have an actual factory of, of developing good goaltenders. And I should imagine that the answer is the same for the flip side, right? That there's no NHL team that has a really poor reputation <laughs> for developing goalies or a really awful goalie coach. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the fans, I would say the loudest outcry about goaltender situation for a number of years would be down in Carolina. If you listen to me, the biggest outcry about a goaltender situation has been about Carolina. It's been driving me nuts for years. Years. Yeah. Kim Kim Ward's been the guy for a long, long time. And he hasn't been playing in such a way that really knights him as being the guy every year, right? So it's tough to say. And, and, and the weird thing about Carolina, too, is that they've had some goaltenders that have, have come up through their system and, and aren't too bad. Um, and, and Cam Ward persists. Sometimes they even have goaltenders that seem to be very, very good and never really get a shot. A guy like Mike Murphy a few years ago put up two of the best seasons uh, statistically in major juniors and never sees the light of day in the NHL. Put up one or two really good years in the AHL. You thought maybe he, he might make a, a claim for the spot. He played, I think, one game, and a, a few minutes of one game, and that was it. And now I, I don't even think he, he plays professionally anymore. So I, I, I don't know what the process has been down in Carolina for a number of years. I know that they're making progress now. Um, and I think they have a really bright future, not just with the prospects they're developing with their skaters, but I think they have a very good stable of, of young goaltenders as well now. Um, and and I think, you know, Cam Ward also, also can't play forever. So, I mean, I think he can't play forever. Maybe he can. It seems to be that a, a decision is going to have to be made to for a successor at some point. Eddie Lack has had issues um, in Carolina as well. And now he has concussion problems. So it's it's sort of a mixed bag uh, for Carolina right now. Uh, I think the future actually is bright with a guy like uh, Alex Ndeljakovic and Callum Booth uh, that are in the system. So um, I, I think maybe Carolina's prayers, uh, the fans' prayers may be answered soon. And the fantasy hockey owners who are just looking for a good goalie in Carolina to get behind that team and win some games. <laughs> yeah. uh, just a, an update on Mike Murphy. Last seen in the Austrian league, the Erst Bank Ice Hockey Liga. Uh, it was playing for Dornburner and did not play very well over seven games. But, I mean, what can you ask for a guy who's been through? I, like, like you said, it, it seems like no goalie in Carolina has ever really gotten a chance, even when Cam Ward has faltered. And the door on other teams would certainly be open. We've seen number ones be tossed aside for 
better performances than Cam Ward has offered. Uh, one more goalie question uh, that we had that I want to get to, and then we're going to get into talking about specific goalies and performances we've seen so far this season. There's been so much talk of equipment changes over the last several years. Can you just blue sky any goalies that would suffer the most if the NHL reduces the size of pads? Or is this like just, a, well, we'll wait and see if and when that happens, then we'll figure it out. But for now, it's hard to say. I'm not incredibly privy to uh, some of the specifics of, of goaltender pad sizes other than just eyeballing it while, while watching games. But purely mathematically, right, larger goaltenders are going to gain more square inches in, in equipment size um, for, for each you know inch of height that they have. Um, that's just kind of how it works, right? I mean, if you have, if you gain, uh, let's say, 10 extra square inches of, of leg padding for one inch, right? Then for every inch that's, that you gain, you're gaining a lot of extra padding. So that padding is going to take up some net. And if you're slimming it down, um, it's going to be the bigger goaltenders that are also losing the most padding as, as it slims down as well. So um, I don't have a specific goaltender that maybe wears sizes that are too big. I don't have a specific answer there for you, but I would imagine that some of the larger goaltenders are going to have the most padding and, and space taken away from their equipment. On the bright side, they'll still take up the most They're still space big. Of, yes, with exactly. their bodies yes. compared to the rest. Uh, okay. Let's get into some specific goalie performances, and here it comes. The fourth mention on this show of Corey Schneider. He is down to 25th in the league right now, and even strength save percentage on the season. And this is a guy who's used to being top five, if not even higher. Does Corey Schneider have significant problems in his own game, or is it the team in front of him? Can we expect a bounce back from him? As I've been telling everybody, just wait for it. He's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. These sub-900 save percentage games can't continue, and yet they have up until very recently. He's gotten a couple better starts in, but can we expect a turnaround for the rest of the season? I still expect a turnaround. Um, again, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to look to larger sample size before I look to a, a small size. Um, to try to figure out what where a sort of true talent level lies. And what we know about Corey Schneider is that he is incredibly good uh, in, in high danger and medium danger areas um, over a number of years. And that bears itself out in adjusted goal save above average or expected goal save above average. And he sees a pretty significant number of high and medium danger chances, and he does well with them. So if I'm going to look at it, I'm going to, I'm going to place a little more emphasis in, in historical numbers than a small sample size here um, of half a season. But even then, when you look to his, what his numbers are now, yes, the overall save percentage is low. A lot of that's put on low danger save percentage right now, uh, which is surprisingly low for him, even though it's been actually sort of an issue um, in terms of his numbers for the last several years. But his high danger save percentage is still above average. And, and looking game by game, I know, again, that I haven't released the new save chart so that we can all see this game by, by game numbers. But he had a rough stretch from about, it looked like November 17th to about this December 15th. So for about a month, um, all but one of his games were below expected goals saved. And since then, it's been five out of seven games have been above um, expected. So it seems like he's turned the corner a little bit. It's tough to say whether or not that's going to going to continue but before that month-long run he was playing roughly 90 percent of his games above expected as well so 
I, I, I really do think that based on what he's done uh, past in the past versus sort of getting himself out of the rut that was the, the, the late November, early December, um, I, I think with a fair amount of confidence that, that it, the, trend, the upward trend should continue. And, and he may not end the season where he's ended before in terms of his statistics based on you know, a, a, a bad run here. But I don't think there's anything wrong with his game. I think I think he's going to be all right. Okay, I, I agree. I'm relieved to hear somebody else say that when and back it up with some data. Is it possible that he could put up a 905 save percentage and still stop more shots than expected and still have like a positive expected value? Yeah, yeah. And would that point to suspect defense in front of him? Of course. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just trying to piece it all together. Two other guys... Uh, who are having pretty ugly seasons so far this year, used to play together in St. Louis. You had Jake Allen and Brian Elliott. And Brian Elliott's on a brand new team, so maybe you would have expected a difference to happen. Jake Allen's on the same team, although one that's transitioning with the new coach coming in next year in a very weird kind of way. But anyway, the numbers have them 27th for Allen, 34th for Elliott. Out of 34 goalies, this year, an even strength save percentage. This is goalies who have played more than a thousand minutes. So guys who have been anointed starters or at least decidedly 1A guys. They're both struggling so badly. Such a huge difference, a huge swing from last year. Is this going to continue for both of them? I have been under the impression for a number of years that, that Brian Elliott really is the stronger of the two goaltenders. Um, but he's also five years older than Jake Allen. So now you have a goaltender that's in his early 30s and seems like he's starting to decline a bit. And it's going to be tough to, to really make a prediction on whether or not he's going to bounce back really well. Uh, I can say this is that most of Brian Elliott's negative influence on his statistics happened from a, a range in from early to, to mid-November. And since then, he's bounced back fairly well. Plus, a lot of those starts were spread out because Chad Johnson was playing well. So he's not getting regular time, um, not getting into sort of a, a, a flow. But then again, he's been in that situation before with, with splitting time with Jake Allen. Um, he seems to be falling back into his, a, a normal range for him and not seeing those wild swings that he saw early in the season. And I still think that Brian Elliott is overall probably a better goaltender than Chad Johnson is. Um, but again, here we are, two goaltenders that are for Calgary who are in their early 30s. So it's hard to make a prediction that they're going to bounce back incredibly well. But I do think that they'll stabilize. Brian Elliott will. Um, and Jake Allen, on the other hand has had very similar numbers to Brian Elliott uh, over the last few years. It, it's, it's weird to have a 1A and 1B um, that look statistically so similar to one another. But Jake Allen's sort of bread and butter has been his, his high danger save percentage while medium and low have been below average over the last few years. You know, we look to this year and his high danger save percentage is, is struggling. Now, is that an aspect of perhaps him becoming the true number one? Is he getting a, a, a more of a run of games that's wearing him down a little bit faster than, than he has usually? I don't have the definitive answer to that, but I can tell you that he has had bigger swings than normal in terms of goal save above expected, um, both above and, and below expected. Um, he's had a few really tough games um, the game against Columbus on November 12th stands out. Game against Nashville on December 13th stands out. Games that, that he fell um, more than a couple of goals below expected. Actually, roughly three goals um, below expected. So he's had some really wild swings. 
Um, he's sort of what should be the prime of his career now, and to see him sort of floundering a little bit as a number one should be a bit concerning. Um, I would expect it to bounce back a, a, a bit, but I don't know, um, just without any kind of, of, of real background of him being that, that true number one, not having a lot of, of, of evidence uh, to look to, um, it, it's tough to say whether he's going to stabilize uh, where his numbers were before as a true number one and getting all those starts. That sounds very reasonable to me. Uh, and I sh- need to just check myself for a moment. I was referencing all situations, save percentage at the wrong tab pulled up. So even strength, though, still tells the same story. You have Schneider, 28th out of 37 goalies who have played more than 750 minutes. Uh, Jake Allen's at 31. Brian Elliott is at 34. So a lot of struggling goalies. Couple goalies that aren't struggling this year. Sergei Bobrovsky, of course, in Columbus, a huge part of all these wins coming together. He's been fantastic. A 930 all situation save percentage on the year. Uh, an even strength save percentage. He ranks fifth in the league up there behind Crawford, Dubnik, Price, and Holtby. He's having himself a season. The thing is, Last season, he was a 908 goalie. The year before, he was league average. And of course, the two years before that, he was lights out. But we still haven't seen more than two years of a really good Sergei Bobrovsky or really bad Sergei Bobrovsky. So I'm wondering, is this the Sergei Bobrovsky that we should be getting used to? Or was it actually last year and this year's an aberration? Or does it fall somewhere in the middle? Bob is... is uh is an enigma, really. <laughs> really tough to put your finger on as, as to who he truly is as a goaltender. Um, because, as you mentioned, seems to be on an entire season scale, wild swings from one year to another. You mentioned three years. You can look at three years worth of data and see that he's basically, in the cumulative, a league average goaltender. But that doesn't tell the whole story because he has these big swings where one year he's the best goaltender and the next year he's really not very good. Um, and, and so you don't know what you're really going to get with him at any moment. So if you're getting good performances, ride with it. I, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm not really a hot hand kind of guy, but if he's giving you those performances, he's capable of, of giving you those performances and capable of continuing on with them. So right now, I think this is who he is in this moment and what, and this is what he can do and just ride with it for, for the moment. Um, it's, it's tough to say because of his swings whether or not, you know, one bad game like last night against Washington can shake him and, and take him away from that string of really, really good performances. Um, but you have to continue for the moment and see how it's going to go because he can give you some really, really good swings that come along with some bad swings. Uh, but uh, right now he's looking great and, and it should hopefully continue for him and for Columbus as a, as, as a whole. Yeah, it sort of reminds me, although not at all, but you know, it's a little alarming You know, when you say that this is a guy who can perform at a high level for several games in a row. I mean, Andre Pavlik was good to like shoot off some amazing eight or ten game runs, although Bobrovsky's run this season is obviously a little longer. And Bobrovsky has been an elite goalie in the league before, over, you know, 40 and 60 games. So I have a little more faith in him. I shouldn't have even thrown that out there. That was me. <laughs> yeah, I've had disagreements before on, on, on Pavlik. Um, I, I like him a little bit more than, than what he's given credit for. I, again, we're looking at a goaltender that in the cumulative tends to bear out to be about a league average goaltender. 
but he has swings. Uh, and, and I think Winnipeg fans and, and, well, clearly management now as well, has gotten tired of those swings. And he finds himself in the, in the AHL. So it's, it's not that different from a guy like Bob Rosky, um, except for Bob seems to have better swings um, than, than Pavlik does. And also, well, I, I, see, I, I can't even say that. I was going to say also maybe, maybe Winnipeg has better goaltenders that are, that are young and coming up um, with a guy like Connor Hellebuck. But Bob Rosky has a guy like uh, Jonas Corposalo behind him as well, uh, who is very good and put up incredible numbers last year for such a young goaltender. So the pressure's on Bob to, to perform as well because there, there is good youth behind him. Right. I, I'm actually going to touch on that because Jonas Corposalo came in last year when Bobrovsky and Malcolm Haney were both injured. He outplayed Anton Forsberg to earn the starter's job for that stretch where there was no other goalie. And he exceeded expectations. He had his rocky moments, but overall, a great year. And then this year, he goes to the AHL. He's not even the starter there. Anton Forsberg has retaken the lead. There are actually a few names. Uh, Calvin Pickard, James Reimer, along with Corbisalo. They all seem to have a foot in the door for challenging for a number one position. And then they haven't been able to play up to their names uh, since getting that foot in the door. Reimer, you know, going to Florida, I thought he'd have a good chance to spell Luongo as Luongo ages and needs more rest. And Pickard, well, I mean, we're seeing that Colorado's a mess. But I'm wondering, uh, of these three goalies, uh, are they still capable of being number ones in the league? Reimer is 28 years old. Uh, his his time is, is here if it's going to be. Luongo's in his late 30s. He's, he's not going to last a whole lot longer here. So I think the idea for them is... is Give it 1A, 1B kind of time um, and, and let Reimer get used to his situation and let you know eventually let him be number one. We're still in that 1A, 1B period. So I don't think the expectation was for him to really take over the number one role from Luongo this season. Like I said, he is 28, so his time is really here to do that. He hasn't played poorly this year. He just hasn't gotten an, ex- an exceptional amount of time to, to play either. Um, as far as a guy like Pickard... I mean, Varlamov has, has fallen off this year terribly, but Pickard has been even worse. Um, and he was looking good last year. And I think with, you know, you were hoping maybe with increased time, he'd find his game uh, even more, but it, it just hasn't happened. For, for goaltenders that have played at least 750 minutes, 5v5 this year, the two worst goaltenders in expected goal save above average, Varlamov and Pickard. So Colorado's situation is not just a bit dire in how their team is playing in front of the goaltenders, but it's bad with the goaltenders as well. Um, you know, and then as far as a guy like uh, Corpusalo, sometimes when you're young and you've got a guy like Bob Rosky, you know, playing the way he is at the NHL level, you just got to you got to bide your time. I would have him still. I mean, he, either him or For, Forsberg over McElhinney. McElhinney's sort of a a a strange thing to me because when you look to his numbers year by year, they are not good. And most guys that have those types of numbers, even more than one season, don't tend to make a living in the NHL. Um, He's managed to do it as a backup goaltender for a a really extended period of time. 
and it's not really normal to see that. So, I, you know, I, I would expect to see Forsberg or Corpusalo really as the primary backup to Bobrovsky, um, but there's McElhinney. He's still hanging in there, and I'm sure the idea for that, though, is to, is to continue to get the young guys playing time um, down in the, in the AHL if Bobrovsky's going to get 95% of the starts in the, in the NHL. So there's, I'm sure there's a plan there. Each one of these guys has a, a real good opportunity to someday be a number one it's just not quite that time yet yeah maybe i was unfair to james reimer like the seasons have definitely gone poorly for pickard and corpusalo uh, but reimer had a bit of a shaky start but has been quite good in his most recent starts quite good is an understatement actually he's on track he's doing well he's doing what we hoped james reimer could do in florida Okay. Well, you mentioned Connor Hellebuck, actually. Actually, we were talking about the Jets. I don't know if we actually said Hellebuck's name, but I'm saying it now. Uh, I want to talk about the Jets situation. You know, with Pavlik in there, it did kind of remind me of Cam Ward in Carolina, where they had this inconsistent starter who couldn't put his game together, and they just went with him time and time again, expecting different results, but getting the same. Now that Connor Hellebuck's in there, there is uh, a little more hope in the Winnipeg crease. And I actually want to compare him to John Gibson. Uh, we had a question about who I would prefer to be my goalie for the next five years, say, between John Gibson and Connor Hellebuck. Who do you like between the two? I would personally go with Hellebuck. I think he's got a higher upside than John Gibson. Gibson is a, he's a league average guy. And getting him to league average is an exceptional low danger save percentage which, as we know, is not an incredibly predictive stat. So that can fluctuate, and the, and the ones that are a little bit more predictable, like high danger save percentage, are actually below average. So the, if anything fluctuates in a negative way for him, he's falling to a below average goaltender level. And that's over the last three years. That is also this season um, for John Gibson. So he's at an age now. He's still young. Um, but he had, he's had significant time for a goaltender his age, and the numbers bear out to be roughly league average. I think Hellebuck can be a guy that can be above average. This year, it's been tough for him, um, but I, I, I do think that he's a high-potential, high-ceiling kind of goaltender um, that maybe in a, in a way that John Gibson isn't quite. So if you told me I had to pick one moving forward for the next five years, I'm probably going to go with Hellebuck over Gibson. Okay, and if I throw a bunch of other young goalies who look ready to get their first chances to, to prove themselves, I'm going to throw in Matt Murray, Andre Vasilevsky, Robin Lehner, uh, Peter Morazic, and UC Saros into the mix. I know there are varying ages and experience levels, but of that crop, is there one name that stands out above Hellebuck or with Hellebuck? Yeah, it's, it's Matt Murray. And, and the playoffs are a weird thing, so I try not to look at, at what he did in the playoffs um, versus what he does in the regular season when we can sort of equalize you know, and, and control for, for the quality of, of, of competition that, that is seen. The, the playoffs get weird. We know, we know they do. Um, so the sample size on, on Matt Murray is still really small, and it was tough to look at his regular season performances last year, which were also very, very good, um, and, and just go, yeah, all right, he did well in the playoffs, so he's probably going to be an elite goaltender. But he's come right back this season and been just as good. Um, and, and so 
with each passing game, with each strong performance that he's giving, um, it seems more and more likely that we're actually seeing the real Matt Murray and, and, and that he's going to continue moving in this direction. I like Vasilevsky. In his chances, he hasn't been that strong. Um, but with his size and athleticism, he's, he's really a bit of a freak and, and, and has all the, the, the tools to become a very good goaltender. But he hasn't really put it together at the NHL level thus far. Um, Mrazik's an interesting case. Mrazik's been sort of out of this world the last couple of years, but has struggled so far this year. Um, I still would put a lot of uh, confidence in, in him bouncing back and, and still being a really good goaltender. Um, after the last couple of years, it's weird to see Jimmy Howard sort of outperforming Peter Mrazik right now. If I was going to put money on it, I would bet that Mrazik ends up being the better of, of, of the two, of the, you know, of the, even in the short term. Um, I think he'll bounce back. Um, Saros has a ton of potential. I like what I've seen from him so far. I, I haven't had enough of a sample to really get a good grasp on him, but but he's he's been really strong. Again, going back to the to the beginning here, uh, if if you maybe pick between Gibson and Hellebuck, it's Hellebuck. If you throw in Matt Murray, then and then hands down, I think it's Matt Murray. Yeah, there's egg officially on my face. So I had Matt Murray. I was excited about him coming into the year, but I had echoes of Cam Ward. In my head, like he made his appearance into the NHL, like he emerged from an amazing lights out playoff performance. So, you know, anyone who was saying that Matt Murray was a sure thing because of that, my response was, you know, we've seen this before and it didn't quite pan out. But uh, this time it looks like it might actually be panning out. I mean, there's there's sort of that reflex uh, instinct kicking back and saying, oh, yeah, Cam Ward, the story looks the same. Um, But... uh, that's a really small sample size to draw from. One one young goaltender that made a run in the playoffs <laughs> and just expect that everyone that follows is going to be just like Cam Ward's career arc. So um, I, I wouldn't count on it being exactly like Cam Ward's career. I, I think that Matt Murray is really solid. Right. Okay. It's just that it wasn't like a guarantee that he was going to come out oh, yeah. of, uh, of, of the playoffs and continue to be that guy. I'm just making excuses for myself still, though. And Peter Morazic, you know, you mentioned uh, your confidence in him. I have confidence in him, too. I think the only ones who really don't have confidence in him right now are the people in charge of deciding who gets ice time in Detroit. I mean, Jared Carreau is apparently the number one goalie for the Red Wings at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, that's someone who I haven't seen a lot of. Just just trying to analyze a bit, not knowing him and and studying him a little extra hard during the, uh, the Centennial Classic there. He has issues tracking the puck a little bit, uh, especially behind the net. He seems to struggle with with, with uh, keeping an eye on, on how the play's developing from behind the net. So I, I don't know that it's, it's, it's strange to see him getting a, a, a small run of games here when you have Howard, you know, playing how he has and, and, and Mrazek being such a, a high potential young goaltender. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Jimmy Howard's still probably out another three, four, maybe five weeks with that MCL sprain. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he had a chance to come back and prove that it wasn't luck, and then he got injured. So yeah. we have to wait even longer for him to prove that uh, he can handle that job. Let's flip it a little bit and look at number ones who are actually in the greatest danger of losing their number one status or slipping into a timeshare for the next year or even sooner. Um, we're looking at guys who can challenge. Let's look at uh, players like Henrik Lundqvist, Pekarine, Semyon Varlamov, Roberto Luongo, and Ryan Miller. Which of those guys loses their number one job first? If it's me, it's definitely Rene. Um, Bishop, not too far behind. 
I, I don't move from Henrik Lundqvist yet. Luongo's really up there in age, so he's he's I, I, by just develop you know age development going to be sort of running out of time there. Varlamov has that's tough too because I don't know who's gonna who's gonna replace him at this point. Um, I, I would have said last year that Pickard looked really good and and probably should and here he has been getting a, a more of a run of games and hasn't been very good. So that's a, that's a tough one. And um, Miller's been okay. He's got Jacob Markstrom behind him. And Markstrom has a lot of potential attached to him and hasn't really played that way over the course of his career so far. So I don't know that as Miller continues you know, to, to get older here as well, that Markstrom is really the long-term solution. Um, and you may have to then look to a guy more like Demko uh, in the future rather than Markstrom. Okay, yeah. And like looking into the future, you've got guys like Demko, you've got John Gillies, uh, Samsonov, who had a great tournament for Russia, Tyler Parsons, who had a good tournament for the U.S. Any of these guys stand out as being ready sooner than the others or having higher upside than the others? All those guys are, have a, a ton of potential. Um, I really enjoyed watching the Parsons-Samsonov uh, matchup the other day with the U.S. and Russia. Uh, I like Parsons' game a little bit more, uh, just visually, than Samsonov. Samsonov's great. Um, but there's a lot of extraneous motion in the way that he moves that I'm, I'm not in love with. But uh, you can't argue with results either. He's, he's been very good. You know, Carter Hart's very good. Didn't men, you know, mention him. He'll, he'll, in the next few years, really, I think, make a name for himself. Parsons has been unbelievable in juniors. Um, his numbers have been outstanding. So I, I expect him to, to uh, continue pushing in the, in the right direction. I hope that he does, given the way that he has played and, and, and gets a chance in the NHL to, to really continue his development. I'm actually hoping I have a chance to see him soon playing for the London Knights. That'll be exciting. Okay, I have one question for you, but it applies to like five different teams. So there are situations around the league where we've got a number one goalie who has been the number one goalie for the team for a while, and somebody is coming up to push them rightfully or wrongfully. We have we have some teams where it's deserved and some teams, uh, like, I, well, we've covered Detroit, where I'm not sure it was deserved, uh, Calgary, Philadelphia. But let's start with the two biggest ones in Tampa and Pittsburgh. How are those teams supposed to divide the workload between their starters? If we begin with Tampa and we have Bishop and Vasilevsky, is it worth it to them to even start Bishop at this point? Because we know what direction they're going. Number one priority for a team like Tampa who... Even though they've been, I think, underperforming a bit this year, um, their aspirations are a Stanley Cup. So the number one priority is, is to, to win. Um, if you feel like right now Ben Bishop gives you the best chance to win, then you play Ben Bishop, even if he's not probably not going to be the long-term um, goaltender down there. And the same for Fleury. You want to win, but you want to play the best you know, goaltender you have that, that gives you a chance to win. Um, right now, though, that actually looks like the younger of the two goaltenders. Right now, I would run with Bishop in Tampa, but I would probably run more with Murray in, in Pittsburgh. So what do you do in either of those situations? You bleed Vasilevsky in as much as you can in Tampa. Like I said, he hasn't really done that well so far, um, even though he has all the tools to be a fantastic goaltender. You try to keep giving him games. Let him keep getting acclimated to the NHL level um, and and then try to figure out what you're going to do about Ben Bishop. For for me, knowing that he's probably not going to be the long-term guy there, especially with the type of salary he'll be asking for, um, 
you know, do you move him at the deadline and try to get assets to, to, to continue making a run towards the cup this year? Or do you just let it play out, let him continue to be in the number one guy for, for the entirety of this year and then move him during the off season before uh, the expansion draft and try to get some assets for him. I don't know which one of those two things they're really looking at. For me, it would really depend on how much, by how much is, is Bishop outplaying Vasilevsky. If it's by a significant amount, then then I, I don't think there's there's you know uh, two ways around it. If you're trying to win a cup, you, you got to run with the better of the two and, and not really worry about the contract situation and an expansion draft and, and just try to win. In Pittsburgh, it's a, it's a bit different. I would seriously consider moving Flurry during the year right now to continue trying to, to stock up. You know, his salary is at a level that if you move him, um, you know, you're clearing up enough space to continue adding pieces, defense or, or, or better forward depth. They're already a strong, strong team. So if you're able to, to clear out some room and get something for Flurry now and continue having Matt Murray play the way he's played, then then go for it. Similar situations in terms of, of the goaltenders, their ages, and, and the 1A, 1B status, but uh, very different in the way those those goaltenders are all performing and, and the outlook for those teams. you have any ideal destinations for Bishop and Floyd? you see any obvious places that they should end up or could end up? Ideally, uh, I would try to, for Bishop, look for a team that protects its goaltender the way that Tampa has over the last few years. I think really quickly of a team like Nashville... Um, although that would require getting Rene off the books, um, which isn't likely. You know, we, we mentioned Cam Ward in Carolina. Um, they could use a goaltender. I, I don't know that their aspirations are actually win a cup this year. And so I don't think that they're, they're going to be willing to give up a ton of assets to go out and get a goaltender. I think they're, they're willing to sort of ride it out as is at the moment. Uh, one more year of experience for the young guys, one more year to, for, for, for guys that aren't in the league yet to, to make the jump to the NHL. And, and then hopefully either one of their young goaltenders um, is ready to make the jump. Or, or, or then they can go out and, and get someone. Um, the market on goaltenders is going to be weird between some of the goaltenders whose contracts are expiring and the expansion draft. So it's hard to predict how things are going to move that way. But you never know that there may be a market for good goaltenders on the cheap uh, over the summer. A little bit tough to, I think, try to predict how those things are going to work out. But, you know, Colorado needs a stable goaltender. Nashville needs a stable goaltender, although they have UC Soros, who you know hopefully will turn out well. Carolina could use a goaltender, and even Calgary, who has two new goaltenders but are a little bit up there in age, you know they could use someone. Although again, you're just trading age for age if you're bringing in Bishop or Flurry. So okay, I'm gonna go quickly with just a few true or false questions to wrap this up. Uh, you don't need long answers. You can just well lightning round it. So. Uh, Say as much or as little as you want. Uh, number one, Steve Mason should be Philadelphia's straight-up number one goalie. Oh, wow. Uh, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> true with, uncertain. True with a small caveat. I think Steve Mason is a very good goaltender. I also think Michael Neuvert is a good goaltender. So it's tough to say that he's definitively the number one guy there with Neuvert also there. But I, I think that's that's just a, a, a wealth of riches situation of 1A, 1B, rather than um, two goaltenders who aren't so good and we can't figure out the situation. All right, this is more of a crystal ball one. Agree or disagree? Brian Elliott will be the number one goalie in Calgary straight ahead also, not 1A, number one by the end of the season. Yeah, I think so. 
I think so. Okay. And last one, Thomas Grice is better than Yaroslav Halak. True or false? <sighs> I've made the argument that Halak could be a top 10 goaltender over the last few years. I think he's very good. Um, sample size is a bit of an issue over, over that, that large of a, a you know three-season period there. Same thing for Grice, but Grice's numbers have been even better than Halak's have in that small sample over the last three years. They've both split a lot of time, but both have been very, very good. Um, Halak's been not so good this year. So, yeah, at the moment, I think um, Grice is, is, is the better of the two. All right. And I lied. I've got one last one before I let you go. Devin Dumnik, true or false, is an elite NHL goalie. He's posting a 939 so far this year, 918 last year, 929 the year before. That was the year he reclaimed his career. He had the off year before that was a 920 in his last full season in Edmonton. Is Devin Dubnik a top five goalie in the NHL? I think when he's on his game, he is. I don't think he is exactly what he's showing right now. I don't think he is. His true talent level is what he's shown in, in a small sample here. Um, but I think he's very good. I think he's an above league average goalie. I don't know that he is a necessarily a top five guy, but he could easily work his way into a top 10 area. All right. And that time was truthfully the last question. <laughs> uh, Ian, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing your wealth of goalie knowledge with us assessing goalies and talking about performances uh, so far this season. If people want to know more about you, about the work you do, about the data you've gathered, where can they find you and how can they find it? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am Fleming16 uh, is my handle. Um, usually posting some some goaltender related thing. Uh, also built a couple other type of uh, visuals for team and, and, and skater related stuff. Uh, I'm always on there, and you can. My website is dispellingvoodoo.com, which is going to use also uh, contain a lot of the tools uh, that you can, you know, interactively use uh, to to make your own comparisons between uh, goaltenders. And if anyone's wondering, dispelling has two L's. Just <laughs> FYI, uh, any ETA on this new safe chart you've been referencing through the episode? I <laughs> um, see. I've got about half of it built, and I would. I'm really just waiting on a, a slightly larger sample size um, because some of the, the save percentage swings are still very large right now. Um, I could Technically, I could have it out tomorrow, but I think I'm going to wait probably a couple more weeks to, to get a bigger set of data here. Well, that's a tease, but I'll <laughs> accept whatever you're able to accomplish. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Everybody, you should follow Ian on Twitter, I am Fleming16. Again, his website is Dispelling Voodoo. And that'll wrap up this bonus episode of Keeping Carlson. Our next episode is going to be a regular one. It's coming at you this Sunday. Keep an eye out for that. Ian, one last time before you go, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me and, and listening to me ramble. Loved it. A lot of good info. Appreciate it. 